the beginning of rescue. That's, that's our, our beginning message this morning. Now, um, yeah, th- this isn't the first rescue, but here is where we see, I think, most clearly, for the first time, sin, then judgment for sin, and salvation from that judgment for those who believe and trust, believe and trust. You can argue that the skins that God provided Adam and Eve were a form of rescue. Um, you can argue that the, the mark on Cain was a form of rescue, so that this isn't truly the first rescue. But this is, I believe, the, the first complete picture of rescue that includes ultimate, final judgment. There was sin, there was judgment for the sin, there was final, complete judgment for that sin, but there was a rescue provided from that judgment. This is our, our first picture of that fully. So the beginning of rescue, the, the, the first rescue. Our big idea that we're going to sort of flesh out this morning is that salvation from the consequence of sin is entirely a work of God, but your obedience is required to receive that salvation. Now I'll go ahead and jump to the end and tell you that's, that's what we believe primarily is that we don't do anything to earn our salvation. We can't work to gain salvation. It is a free gift, but we must believe in Jesus for that salvation. We must respond in faith to that salvation that is freely offered. We don't earn it. We can't be good enough to get it. It's a gift that is given, but that we must receive. The Gospel of John, believe, 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 believe. Belief isn't a work, but belief is required. Otherwise, we're universalists that say everybody is saved. No, we don't, we don't believe that. So salvation is entirely a work of God, but our obedience is required to receive it. We're going to see that this morning from Noah, from the story of Noah. Now, our, our focal verse is chapter 8, verse 1. Really, and it's just the beginning, but we're going to read the whole verse to start off with. God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water began to subside. That's our focus, but now we're going to talk about from 6 to the end of chapter 8, because this is the beginning of rescue. That's our rescue verse. Well, Michael, shouldn't the rescue verse be the ark? Mm -mm. Stay with me. First, let's go back to chapter 6, and we find the reality of the situation. We find what they were going to be going through. We found the reason for what they were going through. The reality, chapter 6, verses 3b and 5. I think that's the next slide. Is it not working? There we go. There it is. The reality. What does Scripture say? What does God say about everybody? Well, he says, they are corrupt. At the beginning of chapter, of verse 3, and the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are 
corrupt. There's a lot more in that passage, and some of y'all are wanting me to explain what the Nephilim are. You're wanting me to explain what it means when it says the sons of God got with the daughters of man. I'm not going to. We don't know. We know what it sounds like. I mean, it's pretty clear. Some unholy interactions resulted in some monster-type people. That's about all I got for you as it is described in Scripture. So we're going to go with that. What we do know is it was a mess. And the reality was that people were just basically good. No. They are corrupt. Verse 5, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that some of their inclination, no, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. See, if you're okay and I'm okay, explain this. You're okay, you're not okay and, and I'm not okay. Our inclination is evil. You are corrupt and your inclination is evil. I am corrupt and my inclination is evil. Now, you may not be as sinful as you could be. As believers, obviously that is the case. It should be. We have the Holy Spirit who restrains us who provides a way out of temptation. So even unbelievers aren't necessarily as evil or as sinful as they could be. But you are as sinful as you need to be to receive judgment for it. Let me say that again. You are as sinful as you need to be to receive judgment for it. And you only need to be a little sinful to not be perfect. And we, you've seen probably the videos of preachers using the, the analogy of, you know, a glass of water and they, you know, it's perfectly clean. You drink that water, sure. Um, then they take uh, another glass of water that looks clean. They pour it in just a, just a little bit. Now, would you drink that water? Well, sure, except that let me tell you that the little bit of water I poured in, I got out of a toilet. Now you're going to drink the water I poured? no. I just poured a little, well, a little bit messes up the whole batch. That water is no longer pure or perfect or as pure as it could be. It's what sin does to us. just takes a little bit to mess us up. But the thing is, we don't just do a little bit. We really like sin. It is our inclination. It is what we do. All sin, all the time. Oh, I do some good things. You probably do. The truth is, though, that even our good things are almost always, outside of Christ, outside of the Holy Spirit, motivated by self-interests. Yeah, I did that, but it, I did that, if you were honest with yourself, you did that whatever it was to make yourself feel good or to look good in the eyes of others. Now, you're, you're going to argue with me and say, no, there was that one time. Okay, there was that one time, but what about the other 5,000? Remember, all it takes is one, and, and, and so that one doesn't fix all the 5,000 either. So we are, by God's word, 
inclined toward evil. We are corrupt. And that's what he looked and saw. And he had some very specific reasons why, and, and it talks about that and, and what was going on at the time. And, and looking around, there wasn't anybody good except for Noah. And even he wasn't perfect. We're going to get to that in just a bit. We're not going to talk about that. That's chapter over, uh, or a couple of chapters over. But we're going to see that Noah, as righteous as he was, he wasn't perfect either. The reality is, we are corrupt, and our inclination is evil. So how is God going to respond to that? Well, this passage on Noah and the ark give us God's response. When the Lord saw, verse 5, when the Lord saw that it, the wickedness was widespread, verse 6, he regretted that he had made him, he was deeply grieved. Verse 7 of chapter 6, Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created, off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. See, the response came from a holy, sinless God, a holy, sinless God that cannot abide sin, cannot be in the presence of sin, and chooses to punish sin. And that's the decision he makes. I'm going to punish sin. Over and over and over, we're told in Scripture that he is holy. And if he is holy, and he is, then he must respond to sin in a holy fashion. And the only holy fashion to respond, with which to respond to sin is to judge it and to destroy that which produces it. And so he does. Now, as I said, Noah was righteous by comparison. We even get a little hint of that. Verse 8, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord... And then on down, I didn't mark it, so, uh, huh? Verse 9. Yeah. Well, there's a place where, and I think it might be just right there at verse, verse 8 of chapter 6. Noah, however, found favor. Doesn't say it was perfect. It just was compared to everybody else. Noah was a good guy. We know folks like that. They're not perfect. They're not sinful. But compared to everybody else, they're a good guy. And that was Noah. But you know what? Noah still had to respond in faith in order to be saved from the coming judgment. Can you all agree with that? He had to build a boat, right? He had to get in the boat, right? He had to stay in the boat, right? He, he had to respond in faith. He had to believe that a flood was coming. For a hundred years he believed it? Is that how long it took him to build that boat? That's a lot of faith. Build this boat. It's going to take you a hundred years to do it. And then I'm going to flood the earth. Hold, hold up now. That was God's response. To judge the sin that he saw. To judge the sin that had completely overtaken the creation that he had made. And then we come to the reckoning. 
God decided what he was going to do, and then he did it. Skip down to chapter 7, verse 10. Now, we, we're given the, the, the records of Noah in, in verse 6. Uh, ver, chapter 6, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt and the earth was filled with wickedness. We, we, we get it. Uh, God saw it, uh, and, and, and he tells him what to do. Build the gopher wood boat and, and all this stuff. Verse 7, uh, chapter 7 rather, then the Lord said to Noah, if, if you don't, if you didn't notice this, um, chapter 6, verse 5, and it's easier to see if you have paragraphs in your Bible and not verses. Not, if it's not divided by verses, if it's divided by paragraph. Uh, chapter 6, verse 5. When the Lord, beginning of chapter 7, then the Lord, beginning of chapter 8, God remembered, uh, ch- beginning of chapter 9, God blessed. No, who's, who's the main character in the story? Is it Noah? Answer's no. Is it the boat? Nope. Is it the flood? Uh-uh. God. This passage is all about God. Let's, let's skip ahead just a little bit for just a second. Moses is recording this as God tells him. Moses wasn't here. Moses isn't writing it as an eyewitness. Oh, I see Noah's building a boat over there. Okay, I wonder what that's going to be. No, he's not doing that. He's getting this message from God for the people, the children of Israel, who have probably spent about 40 years at this point wandering in the wilderness, maybe about to go into the promised land. That's, that's where I, I put most of these messages that uh, Moses shares with them. And they're hearing a message, incredible stories. You, you can imagine the kids sitting there, wide-eyed, oh my. What's the story about? The big boat? God. God did. God saw. God chose. God remembered. God blessed. It is always about God. And the judgment, the reckoning, is about God. God will deal with, this, with sin. Know it. Believe it. God will deal with sin. He's making that point to the children of Israel. They already know it. They have spent 40 years wandering because they sinned, because they disobeyed. Oh, and they're going to find out about it in a few years when they are sent off to Babylon. A whole different crowd, different people, of course, because it's going to be a few hundred years But God judges sin. He will deal with it. He may be patient for a while. He will be patient for a while. But he will bring the reckoning. He will deal with sin. And in this case, his dealing with sin is to wipe humanity from the earth. And animals. Just going to start over. This is one of those things that I just sort of realized at some point. Do you notice, or have you ever thought about what wasn't killed in the flood? Water critters. Anything that could survive in water. Now, I imagine, because it's talking about the waters of the deep bubbling up, so we're talking about hot springs, we're talking about minerals, and, and, you know, it probably took out some of them, too. But they weren't a part of the intentional destruction. And I just kind of wondered about that over the years. And, and, and I wonder if the reason is because they cleaned up the mess. You know, the sharks got some feasts for a while. 
the, the catfish, everything that fell to the bottom, the catfish had at it. You know, they, they were the, the cleanup from the mess. I, I guess, I mean, I don't, that's, makes as much sense, I guess, as anything else. But they were left. Because he's very clear about anything that walks on the ground. Breathes the, the, the breath of, of, breathes air. Of course, then you wonder, well, did whales make it then? And I'm not going to get into all that speculation. It's good stuff to think about, fun. But regardless, what it is, is God taking care of the problem. And taking care of the problem in a final uh, just, just period, well, exclamation point, way. That's how God deals with sin. It's how he will deal with it in our lives as individuals. The longer we let sin go on, the more likely he is to deal with it in that fashion. It's how he's going to deal with sin ultimately at the end of time. So, so God wipes humanity from the earth, but he has given Noah a, a map for a way to avoid that judgment. Build the ark, get in it. He'll, Noah, you go gather food, I'll bring the animals you need for the ark. You, you, you go in there, and this will be the beginning of your salvation. It will be the means of your salvation. It'll be the means of the rescue. Chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah. Noah was not saved until God did the saving. Until God remembered Noah. Salvation wasn't in the ark. Noah didn't get to the land after all the floodwaters had passed and, 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 and the land had dried up. And he didn't get out and say, oh, I thank thee, O ark, for saving me. He sacrificed to God. Because God was the one that did the saving. The ark was a means for that salvation. But it was not the salvation. God remembered Noah. And Noah was saved when God remembered him. Not that God forgot. Not that God was up in heaven and went, Oh, dead gummit, I left the water running. And went and turned it off. And, oh, where'd that plug go? Oh, there it is. Because uh, Noah's here. Forgot he was on there. A lot of water, small boat. I didn't, you know, he, it wasn't that sort of thing. It's not that sort of remembered. It's a covenant remember. That's the word that's used. It's, it's used in covenant language to say God is doing what he promised he would do. Noah was saved when God remembered him. Because what if God hadn't sent the wind to blow the water? To dry up the water. What would have happened to Noah? Hypothetically, he would have eaten all the, the, the crops that he brought in, and they would eventually have been used up, and, and he wouldn't have been able to feed the animals. And well, just let's shorten the story. They'd all died eventually just sitting on that boat. Because you can't drink seawater. Um, so they would have run out of supplies and 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 they'd have died. And then wouldn't he have been judged 
or at least have been a death as a result of the judgment, he would not have been saved. He was saved from the water, dying a a watery death, but I got to tell you, maybe drowning and being eaten by sharks would be better than starving to death or being eaten by a tiger or whatever on the boat. Noah wasn't saved by the boat. Noah was saved by God. Now, Noah, uh, rather, God had told him if he'd build the boat, an act of faith, he would be saved. Not a works salvation. Hey, you build this boat, that'll earn you your salvation. Nope, this is what you need to do. You have a responsibility to respond in obedience. God told him about the boat. He told him when to get in the boat. He used the boat to save him, and he removed the judgment of the flood by the boat. But it was God that rescued, not the boat. Now, some of y'all, your wheels are turning. You're going, why is Michael spending so much time on this? I bet he's going to make some sort of comparison to the cross down the road. You might be onto something. But then we see the, the restraint. The last point. Chapter 8, verse 21. And then, again, we see it in chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. So the, 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 the water has been pushed back. It, he was on that boat for a year. He built it for 100 years. He was on it for a year. Uh, 150 days, at, uh, uh, 40 days it rained. Uh, the, the water sat for 150 days. At the 150-day mark, the wind started blowing. That's when God remembered Noah. And it took 150-ish days, uh, or a couple of hundred days, actually, to, to blow the water, to evaporate the water, and then dry up the ground. And you have the, the raven and the doves and, and all of those things that he, he sent out. The boat lands uh, in the area of the uh, Ararat Mountains, maybe not on it, maybe a plane, who knows, it's, it's somewhere or was somewhere out there. Um, chances are it's not anymore. And then when they got out, after God told them to get out, Verse 20, Noah built an altar, he made sacrifices, and verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though, hear this, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. And he repeats it again in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 9. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on earth. I will never, verse 15, never again, uh, water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. We see the restraint of God. We see that judgment will happen differently in the future. Rescue from judgment will happen differently in the future. God would not do it this way again through water. God would never again destroy humanity to start over. Now we know in in Revelation, we know from Daniel in Revelation, there will be some reworking. Uh, But 
not like it was this time. God would never again judge the entire earth for mankind's sin. Uh, yeah, there would be a worldwide judgment. We, we can't get away from that. Second Peter 3.10 tells us there will be a, a fresh start brought by fire. There will be a, a reckoning again. Uh, but that will create a new heavens and a new earth. It's a different starting over. What God did at the flood was wipe it out and do the same thing that was already there. That's not going to happen again. Because when it's done the next time, we will be sinless. We will be uh, perfected. We will be with Jesus. So there will be a worldwide judgment. And don't be confused. There will be group judgment. Israel knew this. They had just spent 40 years enduring group judgment. They had uh, everybody 20 years, 21 years and older has died because of that 40-year wilderness wandering, except for uh, Joshua and Caleb and, and Moses. And even he didn't get to go to the promised land. So Israel knew that there would be group judgment. Sinful, navel-gazing churches know that there is group judgment. The first two or three chapters, first three chapters of Revelation are letters written primarily to sinful, navel-gazing churches, churches who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they have been judged as a group. If you, if you don't change, watch out. The lampstand will be removed. And those seven churches, as far as we know, no longer exist. We see it all over our area, our region. Churches get judged as a group. Now, but that was still, that is still, whether Israel or churches, that's a purification, a removal of what is bad, what is negative, in order to create a new one or bring about a new people from an old one. We wipe out that church, we remove that lampstand because over here, this church, this church is doing what they're supposed to. But even those judgments, the group judgment of Israel, of, of churches, those are based on individuals sinning as a group, as a collective. And so they are judged collectively, but the entire earth didn't get judged for it. Just that group. So God is not going to do what he did. But notice what did not happen after the flood humans didn't change we are still corrupt our inclination is still evil because God even said it to himself though though I will never again curse the ground the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward the flood wiped us out, but it didn't change us. The ark didn't change Noah's heart. Noah was still sinful after that. Judgment rarely brings about 
heart change. It's, it's good for punishment. It's, it's deserved and necessary. But there's usually got to be some sort of rehabilitation. Even prison, while it, it uh, imprisons folks so that they can't do whatever it is got them in jail in the first place, prison itself rarely brings about heart change. Something else occurs that will bring about that. The flood didn't change sinfulness. Only faith changes that. Only God changes the heart. And that salvation isn't collective. That salvation is a personal responsibility. This physical act doesn't do it. It is an internal change that a flood or prison or some other outward result doesn't do. It might make you, a spanking will make a kid stop doing some things for a little while, but how many of those kids have, have a change of heart? They may have a change of seating posture, but they don't have a change of heart. That's an internal thing. Israel, after 40 years of, of punishment and wandering, when they went into the promised land, we know in just a few years, it don't even take that long. Read from Joshua, where they take the promised land, to Judges. And read how awful the people were. They were just a few years from the wilderness wandering, the punishment for disobedience. But they were awful. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord over and over and over, as it says. Their inclination was evil. They were corrupt. But let's just go back at the 40 years of, after 40 years of wandering, of, of punishment, what did they get? The promised land. God gave them what he promised. God remembered Israel. Their, their God could not abide their disobedience 40 years prior when the 12 spies went into uh, the promised land and came back saying it's wonderful and scary, let's don't go. They've got people in there, they got people in there that are like the Nephilim of old. Ooh, use the big scary word. They got monsters like them monsters before Noah. That was no coincidence that they used that. They knew the story. They, it's just like that. Ooh, so not only are they big and scary, but they're also really evil. We don't want to associate with the evil people. God was telling them to go, and two said we can, and ten said they don't, and, well, majority ruled. And so they were punished because God could not abide their sin. Their sin was real. The response was God punished them for it. The reckon, reckoning was they lost everybody uh, over the age of 20 except for two. The rescue was when God allowed them into the promised land finally. And they go in, they start beating up on cities and, 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 and nations, city-states is what they were. But, but people much more powerful than them because God was with them. God was providing it. God rescued them when they were finally obedient to go in as they were told. 
And God didn't wipe them all out for their disobedience. He wiped out the disobedient ones. And then the promised land was the result if they would trust God and move in faith. We have a rescuer. Number six. We see God's promise to rescue in Christ. Our sin is real. You're not as evil as you could be, but you're evil enough to deserve judgment for it. Our sin is real. And God still cannot abide our sin. Oh, he will judge it. And we may get to live with it our entire lives. And we know death is the first judgment for our sin, but there is coming an eternal judgment for our sin. Death is not an escape from it. Death is now separation from God. And then there will be a final judgment where eternity is determined. And at that point, it's too late to change. God cannot abide sin, and he will respond accordingly. And the reckoning is, if we die in our sin, we are forever separated from God in that eternal punishment. But Jesus is our rescue. It's not our works. It's faith in his works. Now, some preachers have, have gone to great lengths to compare the ark in some pretty precise detail to the cross and, 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 and all the, I'm not going to do all that. I don't, I don't think the analogies work that well. But I think the analogy does work that as the ark was provided or even built by Noah, the cross was provided. Wooden cross. In truth, our sin built that cross. It's, again, it's a metaphorical thing, but we are responsible for the cross. We, we, we built the object of our salvation or the, the, the means of our salvation. And then Christ died. All the people died. Noah didn't, but all the people did. And, and there was a, so there was a death, and, and then the tomb was emptied. And again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing one-to-one here. I know it sounds like, it. oh, he, oh that's amazing. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing all that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, this is a general picture. So don't, don't go writing that down. Well, the cross is this, and that, no. Mm-mm. Just wanting you to see that the cross was there, the, the tomb was emptied, but we must respond in faith. The cross doesn't save us. Are you even Baptist? You know we sing a song called the old rugged cross, don't you? I'm familiar. The cross doesn't save us. Other than the prophecies, and you know, there, there are certain reasons why, I get it, I know the prophecies, but there is nothing particularly special about a cross. I mean, they could have nailed him to the side of a house. They could have suffocated him. They, I mean, it, it was, it, it, Jesus saves us, not a cross. 
God saved Noah, not a boat. God provided the promised land, not a 40-year wandering or defeating some cities. Do you see? If we are putting our faith in the things, we are misplacing it. The church doesn't save you. Tithing doesn't save you. Good works don't save you. Helping people doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. By grace, through faith. Noah could have built the ark and never gotten in it. Noah could have gotten in the ark and never come out of it. The ark was merely the means. You can know everything about the cross and never place faith in Christ who died on it. You can wear a cross with Jesus hanging on it. But until he comes out of that grave, he's not who he says he was. We don't worship an empty tomb. We don't worship an occupied throne. We worship a Savior because God saves through Christ and not stuff. That's the rescue. Not works, but faith. But then the restraint, the last point, number five, How does that work with Jesus? We're still just as sinful as the folks who got off the boat. We're just as sinful as God says everybody still was in chapter 8. Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. When you accepted Christ, you didn't suddenly become not sinful. How many of you have never sinned since you accepted Christ? Don't raise your hand. Because you a liar, and that means you just sinned. Paul, oh wretched man that I am. What I want to do, I don't want to do. And what I don't want to do, I do. But God's grace. It doesn't cure us, but it sure does fix the penalty. Noah got in that boat a sinner. He came out a sinner. We look at that cross, we place our faith in Christ as sinners, and we come out the other side as sinners. But we come out as saved sinners. And that makes all the difference. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit, and we are led to uh, righteousness, uh, the the blood uh, uh, of Christ on us, both restrains God's judgment and his wrath, but it also restrains us. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. and There is no temptation that has uh, 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 overtaken you that you are not provided a way out of. We, we, we have the promises. We know we don't have to sin, but we do. And God remembers us. When Satan accuses, did you see what that preacher boy did? 
God says, I sure did. And it breaks my heart that he would sin like that. But you know what I also see? The blood of my son. He's mine. So you have no accusation to make. He's forgiven. Doesn't that sound stupid? I mean, it does. Let's, let's just be honest. Really, just because of the blood of Jesus, I sin and it's forgiven. Yeah. I don't get it because I, I just, I wouldn't let it go. But that's not God. The rescue's real. There was no more water to drown Noah with. Not, not, like, not like there had been. And I can just hear Satan, you let that one go. Look, just a chapter later, he's drunk. Yeah. But he's mine. I rescued him. He believed. The rest didn't. It's what God says when he looks at us. God remembers. And we are saved. How do we experience that? Well, we, we, we go back to the beginning and we realize that God's design was actually for our perfection. God's design was perfect. And then sin that we talked about just a few weeks ago entered the world and messed it all up. Broke everything. So much so that God destroys animals too I don't, I don't know what the deal there was it, it, were they affected by we know all of earth is affected by sin so yeah there, there was something broken there God destroyed it all that's how broken it was and it is still broken we are still broken and we know our brokenness we know that what we are what we do isn't right we know the evil in our own hearts we know the corruption in our own hearts we know us better than anybody knows us we know what we are and we are a messed up bunch and we know it so well that there are uh, books and blogs and podcasts and drugs and all sorts of things that are, that, that are going to fix the brokenness. We know we're broken. Here's how you can fix the brokenness. Call 1-800-435-1234 or send fifty nine ninety five to the address on your screen. No CODs. Throwback. Just breaks more stuff. There's a, I've seen a few videos on it, and there's a, uh, a, a way, I, I, think it's, I think it's Japanese way of fixing po broken pottery, where what they use to glue it is gold, basically. I'm way oversimplifying this, but just go with me. And the picture is that the, the break is both accentuated it uh, becomes part of the art, but it's also a strong, strong fix. It's an okay analogy to what Jesus does. We've got to be careful. We don't want to accentuate our sin. 
Ooh, look how sinful I am. Paul talks about that. We don't brag about our sin to show how gracious God is. We try to control our sin. But the beauty of the fix of our brokenness shows the disaster that our lives were without him. This pottery, I wish I would thought about this during the week and not like three minutes ago. I'd have put a picture up for you. But this pottery, it, 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 the, the lines of gold, it shows, my goodness, how, how shattered that piece was. And look how they were able to put it back together. Y'all, that's our lives. How shattered our lives are because of sin. And Jesus' blood filling up those cracks, sealing us, healing us, putting us back together. My goodness, what a testimony. Look how broken he was. Look how broken she was. But God, through Jesus, put them back together. When they repented and believed the gospel. When they just got in the boat. When they looked at the cross and looked at the empty tomb and said, Yeah, I believe that. Jesus, I want that. I want you to heal my brokenness. Okay, it, it requires me to respond by building a boat, respond by placing my faith, by repenting of my sin. Does repentance save me? No. Does belief save me? No, I don't have faith in my belief. I have faith in Jesus. Jesus saves me. Salvation from the consequence of sin is entirely a work of God, but your obedience is required to receive the salvation. Will you obey this morning? Come unto me, all who, you, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come. It's a command. Believe in me. It's a command. Will you obey? And believe and experience salvation this morning. Take up your cross and follow me. Not literal. There's, there's not a literal cross to carry. So that's not going to save you. Well, I carried this cross a long way. Am I saved now? No. Are you following Jesus? Are you his? Have you believed so that you take up his cross? Have you left your life? Have you followed him? Michael, if I leave my life, will he save me? If you believe. See, all these things are the result of belief. Noah believed and got in the boat. And God saved him. Will you believe this morning in Jesus Christ? Place your faith in him. And let God save you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be clear to us today 
And God, if, if, if I have made salvation confusing by talking about boats and animals and where I have muddied the waters, <laughs> the pun, clear them. And God, may someone today see Jesus on the cross, then in the tomb, see the empty tomb, and not get stuck at the cross, not get stuck at the tomb, though those are necessary. Those are part of the gospel message. But Lord, may we place our faith in the one who died and was buried and rose again. Not put our faith in things. Not put our faith in doing. But put our faith in Jesus. Things will fail. We won't always do. But Jesus will never fail us. Thank you, God, that you provided a sure fire foolproof, and I'm the biggest fool of all of them, way that we can know that we have salvation. And may someone here this morning repent of their sins, believe, and experience that salvation today. And those, those who have trusted, may we be encouraged. May we be reminded that our faith is not in things, not in ourselves, but only in Christ, the unchangeable, the unassailable, the unmanageable, the unmalleable, the one who holds our salvation in his pierced hands, who holds us in his pierced hands. So that on that day when we take our last breath and eternity is decided God remembers us because of the blood of his son thank you for that that we're saved today and that we are saved then and we are saved into eternity and Lord, may one person this morning come to that faith, we pray in Jesus' name.